My name is Joey Ortiz. I'm the student ministry director here at Grace Bible Church. And I'm here today to finish off our series on the true gospel. Now, before we dive in and before we jump in, I want to take, take a moment for you guys to pull out your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 17. And while you guys are opening up to John chapter 17, I want to give you guys some context as to what we're about to read. See, at this point, Jesus is about to be handed over to Pontius Pilate. He's about to be betrayed, he's about to be crucified, and he knows, he knows what's to come. He had actually just told the apostles in John chapter 16, I'm about to go, but don't worry, the Father is going to be with me. Don't fear the world, for I have overcome the world. And so in John chapter 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And Jesus' high priestly prayer, it can be broken up into three different sections. First, he prays that the Father be glorified through everything that he's done in his life. The second part is he's praying for the apostles as they go out to share the word. And the third part that he, that he reads or that he prays through that we're about to read through is verses 20 to 26. This is him praying for us. This is the word of the true and living God. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. I do not ask for these, the apostles only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Now check this out. So that, this is the reason, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. Again, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. These first three verses that we just read are Jesus calling us to be united in him. Based off the word that we hear from the apostles, which is the gospel. The series that we've been in, we've been diving in and looking at what the true gospel is. Now, I'm going to read through the last few verses, but I really want you to pay attention to what verse 26 says. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent to me. I made, them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, and this is the part I want you to pay attention to, because this is what we're talking about today, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Once again, Jesus praying, is praying for us to be united in the gospel. And this series has given us the opportunity to look at gospels that are incorrect or incomplete. We started off by looking at the forgiveness-only gospel. And forgiveness is a huge part of the gospel. It is absolutely important. But the forgiveness-only gospel says that once you've been forgiven, that's it. You don't have to engage in sanctification. You don't have to worry about anything. Jesus is your get-out-of-hell-free card. Go live your life. But that's not the gospel. See, sanctification, working to be made more like Christ, is an outworking of our faith. And it shows that we are believers to a broken and fallen world. The consumer gospel focuses on us being served. Our church is playing the music we like, serving the coffee we like, and talking about messages that we're comfortable with. But Jesus shoots that one down real quick, too. See, Jesus says in the book of Matthew that he came to serve and not be served and give his life as a ransom for many. And if we're called to be Christ-like, then we're called to selflessly serve other people. 
The prosperity gospel focuses on earthly possessions and earthly prosperity, health and wealth. And while we are promised these things, they're in eternity, not here. We just talked about it. John chapter 16, Jesus tells the apostles, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have problems. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. The cultural gospel trades in truth at the expense of love. Are we called to serve people? Absolutely. But we are not called to reject the truth of God. Every one of these incomplete or incorrect gospels are like puzzles that are missing vital pieces to complete the picture. Yes, forgiveness is important. Yes, we're called to serve others, but we're called to engage in things like sanctification, and we are called not to waver on truth. And I'm going to be real honest with you, church. This one hit close to home. As a matter of fact, as we were prepping and planning for this series, when they came to figuring out which pastor was going to preach which section, everyone goes, this gospel you. And I'm like, bro, what's the deal? Like, how can you, what? And they're like, you. All right. But then I started really reflecting and started thinking about my journey to get to where I am right now. Early on in my faith, you could say that I was a caged stage Calvinist. Now, I know for some of you guys that means absolutely nothing, but I was that dude that would go out and talk about eschatology and talk about soteriology and every other ology that theology can talk about and have an opinion on, that was me. And I would go and get into these debates with friends and family and all kinds of people to the point where one time I was even told, homie, you got to leave my house, you can't stay here. To a point where at 2 or 3 in the morning, nothing had changed because we're not going to argue and debate anybody into heaven. That's something that is solely for the word of God. But here's what I would do. And, and when I thought back on this, and some of you guys in here, if you've known me for a while, you've heard me say this. Every argument, every debate would end with me saying this one phrase. And I can already see my wife in the back ready to roll her eyes. <laughs> I would end every debate by saying there's two sides to every debate, guys. And at the end of the day, there's my side and there's the side that's wrong. And you just happen to be on the side that's wrong. Kind of like a lot of the Cowboys fans in this room. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so today we are going to take a look at the other side of the cultural gospel. The cultural gospel trades in truth at the expense of love. Today we're going to talk about the gospel of the right. Now, the gospel of the right, before you turn your ears off, it's not a political thing. This is not about the gospel of the Republican Party. That's not this. This is about the gospel of being correct. This is about a gospel that focuses solely on gaining and gathering information and relying on that information for eternity while we completely throw out the calls to love. The gospel of the right creates people or disciples who are proud, who are arrogant, and who want to do nothing more than win an argument. Now, I know, like some of you guys in here are probably looking at me and you're like, dude, come on. We're called to grow in knowledge, aren't we? We're called to know who Jesus is. We're called to learn these doctrines and believe in these truths. And you would be absolutely right. But the funny thing is, is the same verses that you would be thinking through in, in that Rolodex of Scripture you've got in your head, those same verses actually call us to more. So if you have your Bibles with me, I want you guys to flip it open to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I've heard this one plenty of times. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So many times we forget the first part of what we're called to grow in. We're called to grow in grace first and then knowledge. And we forget that first part because as we grow in knowledge, we become proud and arrogant and haughty. And pride comes before destruction, man. To Jesus be the glory both now and forever. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. This is another one that I hear all the time. All scripture is breathed out by God. Amen. Absolutely. It is profitable for teaching, profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's where we stop. But if we take a look at the last part of that verse, it says, so that, and that's the reason. That word, that, is so important. Because that's the very reason that we need scripture to be breathed out by God and profitable for all those things. That we, the man of God, the people who believe in Jesus, will be equipped and competent for every good work. That knowledge that we gain should push us to go out and live for Christ. Romans 12, 2, this is another one. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Renewing Your Mind. And that podcast is all about this truth, but so often we forget the main word. Take a look at Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. See, the word that we miss there is transformed. And when we think of that word transformed, it's calling us to be transformed into being more and more like Christ. And if we're called to be more and more like Christ, we are not called to be proud and arrogant. We are called to be humble. And we are called to live in sacrificial service. It can create a sense of entitlement to gain knowledge without applying it to anything. As a matter of fact, we look in scripture and Jesus had the biggest problems with people who were all about gaining knowledge, who were all about drawing lines in the sand, who were all about saying, you need to live your life this way, and if you don't, you deserve death. The Pharisees are that prime example. I think of scripture verses where Pharisees are standing in the temple and they're praying, God, thank you for making me not like him. Man, what arrogance. These Pharisees had a prime example too. You see, it wasn't just this group of guys. There was one dude who we read about who took that to the extreme. And as a matter of fact, a lot of what we've read today comes straight from him. Saul was a Pharisee. And if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Acts chapter 9. And when we take a look at his conversion, we see what it looks like to go from being someone who is completely unbalanced and throwing out love for the sake of truth. And we see what a radical encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus can do. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if anyone there was found belonging to the way, belonging to Christianity... Men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They, hear, they heard a voice but saw no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now at the very beginning of these verses, we saw Paul breathing threats of murder and anger, persecuting people who did not live and believe the way that he did. And, and if we're honest, a lot of us within Christian churches who fall into this doctrine persecute and condemn people for not believing the way that we do. We are no different. We are no different. But when Paul radically encounters the risen Christ, when Paul is confronted by the light and love of Jesus, he is broken and he is humbled. He is brought to a place where he cannot see and does not eat for three days. And in that time, if you were physically disabled, you were the lowest of the low. Saul, who was proud and mighty, was brought down to almost the status of a beggar. And what's awesome here, what's awesome here is how God worked through Paul. You see, this drastic change lasted uh, for the rest of Paul's life. And for the rest of Paul's life, he went on mission to serve God and proclaim the truth of Jesus. If we open up to Philippians 3, Paul says this, and this is awesome. This shows you that change. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11 say this. If anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Basically what he's saying is anything I could do and did do, I did, and it made me awesome. And when we think about the people in the gospel of the right, the disciples that that gospel makes create people who are very much the same. But, verse 7, whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That word rubbish doesn't just mean trash. Paul equates that to excrement. And it's crazy because he gave all that up in order that he may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not being able to find myself righteous because of what I've done, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness that is given to him by God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Like I said, if we are being grown and raised in a church that believes in the gospel of the right, we are no different than Paul was before he saw the light. We are proud, we are arrogant, and we draw lines in the sand. Many of us would rather sit in church on Sunday and sit in Bible studies on Tuesdays and gather information, which is awesome and wonderful, but that information never gets applied. And we get stuck in this loop. 
See, and, and my, my thought here is that if information doesn't lead to transformation, it's going to ultimately lead you into condemnation. I'm going to say that one more time. Just wrap your brain around this. If information doesn't lead to transformation, it ultimately will lead to condemnation. And I'm talking about two different types of condemnation here. See, we in our lives will ultimately condemn those that don't see things the same way that we do. We in our lives will go out and persecute people the way that Paul did, by talking down to them and lording that knowledge that we have gained over them. And then ultimately, at the, the white throne judgment, when it is time for us to stand before our maker, we will be condemned because we did not show the love of Christ to the world. And we know this because, like I said, we read through scripture verses that called us to be conformed to the image of Christ. They called us to be like Christ. And when we think about Christ, these are the things that Christ has called us to do. We know that Christ is the way. We know that Christ is the truth. We know that Christ is the life. We know that no one can go to the Father except through him. That's a truth that we have to center on. We talked about that at the beginning. We've got to be united in the right gospel. Yes, that truth is there, and we have to live in that, and we have to share that truth. But we have to do it lovingly, and we have to do it in a way that honors God and honors Christ. Because we also have to remember that Christ came and told us we have to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we have to love our neighbor as ourself. If the information that we're gathering does not humble us and break us and bring us to a point where we understand that we don't deserve the grace and mercy shown to us at the cross, then all it's done is create more Pharisees. All it's done is lead us to condemn the world when we should be showing it the love that changed us. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 20 and 21 say this. If anyone says, I love God but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not. And this commandment we have from him. He's alluding to the great commandment. We just talked about it right now. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Whoever loves God must also love God. His brother. Jesus says the entire law and prophets depend on those two things. Philippians 1 verse 9 says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. What is called to abound? Is it our knowledge? No. It's our love. We're called to go out and show Christ's love to the world. We love because he first loved us. Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love. We are called to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And when we look at this transformation and we talk about this heart piece, we can gather information all day long, but if that doesn't make its way to here, it's completely and totally worthless. Paul in Romans chapter 9 says, I wish that I myself could be cut off. I would forfeit my salvation. I would give it up for the sake of my brothers who will never come to know Christ. His heart was to go out and preach the truth. Once again, that knowledge of God should humble us. It should bring us to repentance and make us to be more Christ-like. We're not worried about being right. We're worried about being like Christ. And if you're sitting in some of these churches that focus on nothing but doctrine, 
and don't live out the truth of the gospel, you might be seeing things like this. If you're okay with people talking about Jesus, but get real uncomfortable when they go and spend time with sinners and break bread with sinners and they dedicate themselves to the teachings of the apostles, if they go out into the world and actually share this truth and that makes you go, oh, man, I don't know why you're doing that, you're in a church of the right. If you're not willing to go out into the world and talk to people who don't look like you, people who don't talk like you, if you're not willing to live on mission, you are more than likely in a church that follows the gospel of the right. If every Sunday you walk into church and you hear things like, if you believe this and it's not the gospel, if you believe it this way or if you do this or you do that, you're not a Christian. If I'm busy drawing lines in the sand from the pulpit, guess what? You're probably in a church that preaches and teaches the gospel of the right. But the gospel of the kingdom calls us to so much more. The gospel of the kingdom calls us to go out into the world and share that truth in love. To selflessly serve others as we share the absolute truth of salvation. That it can be found in no one else but the person and work of Jesus Christ. A church that preaches the gospel of the kingdom should have a heartfelt need to go out and serve those who need to be served. That totally throws out the comfort gospel we talked about earlier. A church that preaches the gospel of the kingdom will be willing to lay down their comforts and earthly treasures for the sake of others getting to know Christ. They focus on eternity and not temporary things. They worry more about people being healed by the blood of Jesus than they do about being healed from any infirmity here and now. There goes the prosperity gospel. They're able to go out and love people, but love people while resting in the truth that God has given us. There goes the gospel of the right and the cultural gospel that we talked about last week. See, our mission here at Grace is to be a church who has disciples that go out into the world and love people the way that Jesus loved us. Our mission statement here at Grace is for every person in every corner of this city to be brought into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That's our mission, that's our purpose, that's why we exist, and that's why we preach the gospel of the kingdom. And you see, when we do that, when we go out into the world and show the love of Christ to the world, we become the very people who go out and point back to him. Just like we saw earlier. If we're united in the true gospel, we're going out to show the world that not only does God love them, but God sent his son to die in their place. God sent his son so they could have forgiveness. And what's really, really cool is that Jesus told his disciples. He said, and they will know you. The world will know you not by what you know, but by how you love. So we need to be that church. We need to be that church that goes out and bandages those that are hurt and broken. We need to be the church that feeds the hungry. We need to be the church that shows the love of God to those people because we have been shown that very love. We need to let our lives be a reflection of that. 
to a broken, fallen world that so desperately wants their sin because they don't know the power of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed to know your son, Jesus. And my prayer, Lord, is that as we leave this church today, that we can go out into the world, Lord, and just be that reflection of your light and your goodness. Father, be that reflection of your grace and your mercy. Lord, help us to live in a way that not only honors you by the love that we show, but help us to not waver on the basic truths of the gospel. Help us to remember, Father, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we can be saved and that salvation can be found in no other name. But help us to show that truth to people in a way that is so loving that it draws them near. God, help us to be a people that live a life worthy of the gospel. Help us to be a church that glorifies you and honors you in all that we do. Lord, we love you, we worship you and praise you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.